so there's an interesting phrase in scripture that says in the book of Proverbs that there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And I'll just tell you straight up, I know brothers because I'm one of four boys, uh, grew up in Dayton, Ohio. And I, I confess that I'm embarrassed by this one. When I was about six years old, one of my earliest memories as a son, brother, uh, was that for, for absolutely no good reason, my brother DJ was sitting watching television, uh, minding his own business. And I decided the right thing to do as a little brother was to run up, just smack him in the back of the head and then run and lock myself in the bathroom, right? Like, I, I can't tell you why. I can just tell you this is, this happened. Uh, when my little brother got a little older, some of you will know this reference, but we had a version of like Calvin ball. Some of you know what I'm talking about. We'd kind of invent games that you play in your front driveway. We had an awesome front driveway and it involved hockey sticks and tennis balls. It was, a, it was an awesome time. Josh got so mad at me in this time period that he tried to kick me, um, but he was wearing rollerblades at the time. All right. So, the, the physics do not work very well when you try to do that. And he, there was a little blood. Uh, he fell on his back. I tried not to laugh too hard. Uh, but when we're together, we laugh about that to this day. You know, this is, this is one of the closer relationships that you can have a, a brother with a brother, right? I, I think sisters, we can relate to this as well. But for some of us, and I do not feel this way because I have a wonderful relationship with my brothers today. But for some of us, when we read that statement, there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. We feel like the bar was set fairly low, right? I have been a part of funerals, I'll admit, that I have watched family. You guys know like in a wedding where they have the, the bride family go this direction, bride and the groom's family go this direction or however it is. I've been in funerals where there was the fruit of a broken relationship, sometimes that had happened like 20 years before, that, that they probably should have had separate seating for family members because relationships had broken down in such a way. I, I think we have looked at, at times in history and seen people who have given up on relationships. And, and so when we see this, there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. We think of the brother relationship and we say, man, is that the best it can be? Or, or we think of the friendship relationship and we find ourselves saying, man, I, I want that. I want something that's meaningful and purposeful and intentional. And this morning, I want to celebrate the fact that I think every one of us aspires to have that kind of relationship, and we can grow in our ability to have that kind of relationship in our life, one that's burden-bearing, one that is authentic and sincere, one that carries with us the kind of love that the Lord Jesus has taught us that we can have in our life. I think we know that there's stories out there that would make the Hatfields and the McCoys be embarrassed, right? That they're, they're so broken and discouraged. But there's also stories of life that has been given and that's been abundant. And I want to thank you. Several of you have reached out to me over these last few weeks as we've been going through this Building Healthy Relationships series. And you have shared stories of the way that God has moved in your life to reconnect things that were broken. Maybe some things that felt like they'd never be healed. And, and you, some of you have even described it like a broken bone, that it was severed, but when it healed, it could be even stronger than it's ever been. Some of you talking about lost loved ones. This is meaningful. I've had this conversation several times of those who've, who've graduated, who've gone on to be with the Lord, that you recognize that you 
realize that you did not always express to them the love that you shared for them while they were here on earth. And so there's a part of us that we stand back and we say, wait a second, we want to, we long to have strong, healthy, meaningful relationships. And I celebrate the fact that there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. As we've gone through this series, I want to share with you a few things that we've talked about already biblically. First of all, that the God that we worship today is a relational God. He expects us to be relational as well. We were designed and intended to be in relationship. It doesn't mean that we always have to agree with one another on everything in our relationships. In fact, the Lord's encounters with his disciples, often he modeled for us relationship that could go above and beyond even times of disagreement. So we, we don't always have to get along on everything that's controversial um, or on every belief that we hold. But what we recognize is that we value and invest in the kind of relationship that is something that we can grow in our capacity to build. The second thought from previous weeks is we can all grow in our ability to get better at building healthy relationships. Some of you are trying this. Some of you are risking in this area. You're making yourself available. We talked about the no vacancy sign that, that could be hung around our necks that communicate to a world that's around us. We're not interested in relationship and I've had several of you reach out and say, I'm willing to, to give it a try again. And I think there's fruit that can come in that. We can get better at this. Uh, a third thought from previous um, conversations we've had is good friendships require investment in order to unleash their potential. So you could take my statement that I said earlier that there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother and the way to discover that is to be a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Uh, I think we, we all wanna be honest with ourselves this morning and say that as we look for good friends, uh, for some of us we look at what we currently have and at times we say that there may be something better out there. I love this picture of the horse that has decided that the grass is greener on the other side of the fence, right? So he's, he's working hard. Um, there's, there's a verse that says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I shared last week, a mentor friend of mine made this statement. The grass is not greener on the other side of the fence. The grass is greenest where you water it. And I think as we talk about principles of relationships that are near and dear to the heart of the Lord, one of the ways that we invest in relationships, and we're going to focus in on this today and next week, is to recognize something that is a funny word that Jesus used in his Beatitudes. He talked about a role that can take a relationship that is difficult or challenging and turn it into something that has potential to be incredible. He uses the phrase peacemaker. And the Lord Jesus said in his Beatitudes, he said, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. I think the phrase peacemaker um, is, is a very important concept. We're going to focus in on it today. And I will ask you to be honest with yourself. Are you a person who is a peacemaker? Or are you a person that chooses at times to be someone who keeps record of wrongs, that is a peace breaker, a pot stirrer, a, a person who at times is indifferent? Uh, there was a, there's a wonderful study done back in the late 60s, 1960s, by Dr. Stephen Cartman. And some of you know this as the Cartman Triangle, and I found it to be so helpful. He describes roles that people do that have the tendency to push away authentic relationships, and he describes them in three different ways. One of them is the role of the victim. 
that we look at our relationships around us and we say people don't give us what we deserve. We've been let down by the world that's around us. In other words, poor me. I have been oppressed. And I think that's one way that we keep people at a distance. Uh, another one that is a temptation that is called codependency sometimes, but it is the rescuer. And it is the person who says, here I am to save the day. Um, but in that process, they fail to be actively a part of their own wrestling with authentic relationship. They're the savior, and in some ways we can spiritualize it and say that they misunderstand who the true savior is. The third is the persecutor, the person that accuses other people of being at fault in relationship. They're the bully. They say that phrase, it is your fault, or you've let me down, or you've discouraged me. I'll just tell you, in my own life, as I've wrestled with the, the things that other people have done that have disappointed me, one of the things that's been such a gift for me is to be able to ask myself the question, where Am I doing that thing in the life of other people? If I, if I have an area of, that have been hurt by someone, where is it in my life that I am doing that same thing in someone else's life? Or when I consider my temptation to fall into one of these three categories that Cartman talks about, that I recognize that God's designed us for something that's so much more than that, that is authentic. I, the, the first point this morning um, that's going to flow out of God's word is a peacemaker if we understand what it means to be a peacemaker, a peacemaker can turn a normal relationship into something that is amazing. A peacemaker can turn a normal relationship into something that's worthwhile. I think Jesus was the ultimate example of that, that he showed us what it meant to take a group of men that were individuals that were a part of his life and turn them into the kind of men that had burden-bearing fellowship with one another. I think we're taught this in scripture to be people who maintain the spirit of unity and the bonds of peace. I love the way that Walter Winchell puts it when he says, a friend is one who walks in when others are walking out. In other words, we are people who pursue relationship because of the fact that we don't expect them to be perfect, but that we recognize that they require investment. I think patience is required for any and every relationship. God's word's pretty clear about this. In Ephesians chapter 4, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to uh, what I think is a kind of humorous passage of scripture that Paul recognized, the Apostle Paul recognized the need for us to actually literally put up with one another. He says this, as a prisoner in the Lord then, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience. Now, but before we go any further, he's saying this is what it means to understand the will of God in your life, to be a patient person, to walk, in other words, choose to decide to be a person who has humility and gentleness. And then he says this statement, bearing with one another in love. I think we need to be honest with ourselves that relationships require at times bearing with one another. Now, I, I want to ask you a question. And I want to illustrate this bearing with one another well. And that is, I have found when it comes to relationships, I spent several years as a marriage and family pastor in the, the kind of muck and mire of broken family relationships, whether it was marriages or parents and their kids. Um, but, but one of the things that I noticed is that there are times when individuals give up on relationships right at the moment where I believe that they're about to experience the blessing of a meaningful relationship. They, 
they, they check out just a second too soon. And I, I want to ask you, if you can find somebody beside you, I want you to think about your dream car, all right? So, um, so if you could buy your dream car, uh, I want you to look beside you and tell somebody what that dream car would be. Go for it, okay? So, so dream car. My dad would say 56 Chevy. I think that's what he'd say. Uh, oh, somebody said Prius. That's really nice. Yeah, that's good. A nice Prius. That's good. So, all right. So somebody says something that's paid for. That's good. So, all right. So, so let's just imagine for a minute that you decide that you're going to save up your money and you're going to buy the dream vehicle. All right. So you guys know what the car is now. You have it. You probably have the color in mind as to what it is. And, uh, and so you, you know how it works today. Like you order the car and like three years later it shows up. Right. So, so, so let's say that you actually acquired this vehicle, your dream vehicle, the one that you saved up, you sacrificed in order to make this purchase and it came at a great cost for you. And then a couple months into you owning that vehicle, you, you blew a tire on the car. And so you called AAA up and you asked them to tow it to the junkyard. Now, it'd be ludicrous, right? There's no chance that you're going to do it. Why? Because this thing that you invested in so much already carries with it inherent value, right? Now, when it comes to relationships, what I've seen, ha I've seen it happen so many times over the last um, 35, 40 years of, that I've watched people in relationships. I've seen people who have taken things that are precious and valuable and when it becomes difficult, when it stops meeting their expectations, when they have the first proverbial pothole hit that leads to a flat tire, for some people what they choose to do is they choose to give up on that relationship. And I would suggest to you this morning that that falls short of understanding the gift of relationships. The price of admission for real relationships is prioritizing them, investing in them, allowing them to experience the kind of things that do require making peace over, the kind of things that require a peacemaker, conflict, misunderstandings, disagreements. But what I can say comfortably is when we make it through those experiences together, we can find ourselves in places that are incredible, deepening our relationship, not lessening the value of those relationships. So I think that peacemaking is a skill. It's a skill like a muscle that is broken down. It, it causes pain, but over time, if you work out well enough, it restores and can become strong, stronger. I think at times even broken relationships like a bone that's broken can heal stronger perhaps than what it was before it began the process of being broken. I think for many of us though, when in Romans 12, 18, it says this, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. We recognize that we can't control the actions of other people. We're only responsible for our actions. But in that process of living, living peacefully, as much as it depends up to you, what part of what I see in God's word is this concept of course correction in relationship. The, the ability to be able to recalibrate, to readjust um, your, your life situation, to be able to help a relationship thrive. I love to sail. Don't get to do it very often on Lake Erie, but I enjoy getting out. And I've noticed that it really is not about the direction of the wind that it's blowing, but it's the set of the sails that causes you to head in the direction that you want to go in the hands of a skilled sailor. And I think for some of us, the course correction concept is something we need to get more comfortable with. So we don't discard a relationship when it becomes difficult, 
But instead, what we do is we adjust and adapt to the circumstances that we're in. So, so we allow our expectations of perfection to fall away. And we allow our anticipation of reality and its complexity and its beauty to be able to define the kind of relationships that we long for. I love this in 1 Corinthians 13. It's, it's so powerful, this description of the foundation of a healthy relationship. It says love is patient. Love is kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. That last phrase is perhaps one of the most difficult parts of peacemaking because we don't have a delete button on our mind, we don't get to, um, to automatically forget things, but today we're going to talk about this from the perspective of understanding when we've been forgiven by Christ, when he's shown us the model of forgiveness, when he says that, that when we've accepted forgiveness from Christ, it is as far as the east is from the west, so our transgressions are before the eyes of the Lord, that that kind of forgiveness is something that he expects us to give to other people, patience, kindness, um, grace-founded forgiveness. And, and I think that, that for each one of us, when we talk about the value and quality of our relationships, a really practical step that we can take, I want to challenge you in this, is to, is to work on our relationships when there isn't direct conflict in our relationships. A friend of mine likes to say the best time to deal with a problem is when there is no problem. And I think that this kind of a question is really helpful. It was um, defined um, by an author um, by the name of Laura Huxley. And she talks about relationships that you have in your life that might feel like a, maybe a C plus, B minus kind of relationship in your life. That if you're really willing to see that, that relationship grow and get healthier, you can look at that person who you're in that relationship with and ask this question, what is it that I overlook in our relationship which is obvious to you? And if you invite somebody to do, buckle up, right? Because they're going to answer that question for you in a way that I think is going to be potentially helpful, maybe convicting. I think that we can be people who grow in our ability to maintain relationship with one another. And just a side note, very briefly, I want to comment on the fact that I don't think all relationships are worth deepening. I, what I mean with that is there are some relationships that, that we maintain because of commitment. There are some relationships that we invest in intentionally because they're family or uh, they're a spouse or a commitment that we've made. But there are other relationships that we choose. And I think for some of us, we go into those optimistically, hoping that at some point we are going to improve those relationships. We're going to fix them. Uh, I, I've sat with couples anticipating getting married, and uh, there are times when they'll mention something like, hey, my, my boyfriend, he is, he, is, he, he is so much fun. We love to party together. And they see the hints of the fact that uh, maybe there's an alcohol issue in that person's life. But, but when they first see it, they kind of think once we get married or, or go deeper in our relationship, that ultimately that thing is going to be solved in the context of, of a co covenant marriage relationship. And what we've seen historically is that those kind of things often get worse, right? That they don't heal themselves. They require something different. So you see the symptoms of a person's decisions, their investments, how they spend their time. And the expectation is that we pay attention to that. There's a fascinating passage of scripture in um, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 14, 
um, that I find it to be quite fascinating. It says, do not become unequally yoked with unbelievers. And I think that description is not something that he's saying we're not friends with unbelievers. Jesus shared wonderful uh, relationships with non-believers, but ultimately we recognize the deepest relationships in our life need to be with people who can be a source of lifting us up. We know this is going to happen this year. As the, as the weather turns in Cleveland, and we, we know that there will be multiple times that we'll hear stories about Lake Erie uh, this year, where we'll hear the same story. We hear it every year, where there will be someone who's swimming, who um, has trouble swimming, and then someone else jumps into the water to go help the person who's drowning. And the person who went to help the person who's drowning will, will end up drowning. You guys know the story, right? We know that that is often what happens. And I've seen this in relationships where a person who has encountered and engaged in a relationship with someone who doesn't share the same values that they do, they have ultimately been a source of great discouragement in their life, not necessarily one that has lifted them up. So uh, I want to encourage you as we lead to the second point this morning that a peacemaker recognizes the, the power of reconciliation, restoration, renewing what is broken. I, I think that it's important for us to remember that you and I can control how we respond when other people let us down. Um, that, that we can respond in a way that is like what Christ responds to us. Um, the Apostle Paul taught this as we continue on in Ephesians 4. He taught it this way at the end of the section that I read already when he talked about walking worthy of your calling. In verse 2 he says of chapter 4, he says, with all humility, with gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bonds of peace. Uh, he wouldn't even talk about that if it wasn't necessary, but that's a part of the cost of having relationship. He says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in uh, to the one hope that belongs to your call. I think that it's appropriate and, and um, helpful for us to understand that in order to maintain the spirit of unity and the bonds of peace, that there are just some things about one another and our relationships that we can overlook, that there are times when we overlook an offense. In the book of Proverbs, it talks about that, that the wise person, um, at times, it is there to their glory to be slow to anger, and it is to their glory to overlook an offense. We're going to talk about anger a little bit more next week, but uh, I want to be clear. This isn't, this isn't sweeping real issues under the rug, but this is recognizing that at times there are things that we can cover over that lesson that I shared earlier, and that is asking ourselves the question, where am I doing this to other people? I think it's also helpful to understand when we ourselves, so when we're let down by other people, at times we respond with truth and love, and at other times uh, when we let people down, it's appropriate for us to be people who understand the value of a meaningful apology. Norman Vincent Peale once wrote this. I think it's helpful. He says, a true apology is more than just acknowledgement of a mistake. It is a recognition that something you have said or done has damaged a relationship and that you care enough about the relationship to want to, to repair it and to help it to be restored. I think that that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be people who aren't indifferent to our relationships, but we're people who pursue the kind of restoration and reconciliation, not retribution, that glorifies the Lord. 
So in uh, Matthew chapter 18, a passage of scripture that helps us to understand broken relationship, he says this, if your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Uh, one, one of the sad stories of our life when we lived in Southern California, we, uh, we would love to go up into the mountains into this apple country. And one of the sad stories was that we had students that were in our youth group that had the same last name. Riley was the last name. And what we'd find over time is that there were two Riley farms. They were beautiful. They were uh, the kind of place you love to hang out at and, and our students would work there and their family members. But that sometime in history, there were two siblings that had a a conflict that I believe was over where a property line was. And ultimately that led to them like leading to a time period where they, on the, both of their websites, talk about the feud that they have and they would present information. And, and what we would, would find when we'd go up there is we'd be like, hey, we're going up to Riley Farm. They'd be like, which one? You know, because you almost had to pick your side as to which one you were on. And I remember as I interact, I loved actually both sides of the Riley family. And I'd just look at it from a distance and, and they were both professing believers in Christ. And, and there was a point in all of this where you guys know in like Monopoly board where like the most valuable property is Park Place and Boardwalk, right? And on the other side is like Baltic Avenue. And I, I, I thought of that land, whatever the contested land was, that the price and value that they placed on that property line was as if it was Park Place. It, it was more valuable that what they'd done was something so small and so little was to make something temporary be so valuable that it ripped apart something that was precious, right? And I think that, that in this kind of context, as we talk about being peacemakers, being people who understand what it means to invest in and care for relationship, that some of you have modeled it this week, that you've pursued people that you had broken relationship with. For some of you, you said, I'm going to be willing to apologize. And I love some of the stories that I've heard of me accepting the fact that I may not have always gotten it right. And I'll add to that, that question, pursuing people where relationships have broken down and to be willing to say, what have I done? Is there something that I've done that I've overlooked? Is there things that I've done where I haven't communicated clearly enough with you? I think that there's a place for us to accept that, that communication, we, we need to just kind of move beyond the mysticism of communicating in such a way that the other person in a relationship knows what we mean. I think this is funny. Don't judge me for this. Um, but in our, in our first few years in our marriage, my wife um, said to me a couple of times, hey, hey, honey, did you notice that the garbage is, is filled. Um, hey, hey, Sean, did you notice that the garbage smells bad? Um, hey, hey, Sean, did you notice that the garbage is overflowing um, over the side of the... And then at some point, my wife looked me, me in the eye and she said to me, hey, Sean, it would honor me if you took out the garbage. And I said, oh, you're asking me to take out the garbage, right? Like that, that, that I understood then that to her, it was something that was valuable. And it was meaning, now, now don't judge my wife. She's an amazing person. She's just a little afraid of the raccoons outside, right? Uh, no, no, I want you to understand this, that, that actually Allie was giving me a gift, a gift that many of us can learn 
And that is she understood in her heart what was valuable to her. This mattered to her. This was something that was meaningful. I actually um, consider it a privilege to care for her in this way or to do this. I, I need to do it better, um, but I, am, uh, I recognize the value of this, this direct communication. And I think that for some of us, the mystery behind reading between the lines or expecting someone to understand what we would consider as valuable or important that for some of us, we need to just be willing to communicate clearly in love what it means for us to be in a, in a relationship, in a partnership, in a collaborative way. And, and for some of us, uh, we're going to talk about this more next week, but for some of us, the only way we are going to be able to experience this is if we understand forgiveness. The third point this morning, and I'm just going to touch on it briefly, is that a peacemaker understands the power and freedom of forgiveness. Uh, when the Apostle Peter asked the Lord Jesus, we'll unpack this more next week, but the Apostle Peter came up to Jesus and I think he was proud of himself because he um, felt like appropriate levels of forgiveness would be maybe seven times. And so he says to Jesus, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? It's a convoluted way to say, how often when my brother sins against me, do I have to forgive him? Is it as many as seven times? And Jesus' response back to him says, I do not say to you seven times, but I say to you 77 times. This is an unmeasurable amount. And I am guessing, I want you to stick with me for just a few more minutes here. I'm guessing that for some of us, unforgiveness is the source of the greatest amount of distance in our relationships that we have. We've kept record of wrongs. We have been hurt. The, the passage of scripture articulates something when it says, when someone sins against me, how many times do I have to forgive them? Have you guys heard this before? That unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting someone else to die, right? Uh, I was in Canada. We were on a missions trip interacting with this amazing leader, uh, uh, First Nations tribe in, in Euclid and um, and, and British Columbia, and we're sitting there, and it was just an incredible setting. There are eagles that are flying above. They're fishing right in front of us, and just this awesome moment. And this, this man that I'm sitting next to me uh, says, or sitting next to, he says, he says, Sean, this, um, I've watched this happen where there are eagles that will be fishing, and they will catch a salmon that's so big that it will actually drown them. They, they will not let go of the salmon, and in that process, they will ultimately die. And, and this image, and we talked about forgiveness, actually. We talked about relationship. We talked about stuff right there. But he, he was using this as an illustration, and I want you to catch this this morning, that for some of us, we have had things that have hurt us. People who are the closest to us have caused pain for us. And we have allowed ourselves to get so frustrated with that person that we do not let go of it. And it's ultimately, I think, destroying us. Or it's doing what we've talked about, and that is establish calluses in our life that keep people at a distance in our relationships. So the way we learn to not do that, uh, I love this statement in Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to close here in a few minutes, but I want you to just hear this. It says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. What a great statement. It says, along with all malice, 
And then he gives us a hint as to how God expects us to connect with one another. He says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. But he doesn't just tell us that, it, that we need to be good at forgiving one another, but he says, as Christ forgave you. So, so brothers and sisters, as we talk about relationships and being a peacemaker, the only way that you and I can grow in our capacity to be a peacemaker is to understand how much God has forgiven us, right? So I said this earlier. It says that as far as the east is from the west, so are our transgressions before the eyes of the Lord. The Lord Jesus said to Peter, when Peter asked, how many times do I have to forgive someone who's sinned against me? He said to him, it was an immeasurable number, that this isn't worth keeping a record of. And if you are in the record-keeping business, I want to recognize that you are keeping relationships at a distance. And so when we talk about the kind of relationships God desires of us, love is required. The grace that God gives us is the foundation of our relationship with him and his expectation of us is that that is the foundation of the relationships that you and I have the potential of having with one another. So, so are you ready um, to continue to pursue meaningful relationships with your life? If you are, it's going to come at a cost. But thankfully, you and I have been given an example of what that looks like. And for those of us who call Christ our Savior, we recognize that it begins with grace. His grace is sufficient for us. His power is made perfect in our weakness. Would you pray with me? Lord, we love you, and I thank you for your loving kindness. I thank you that you allow us to call you Abba, Father, Daddy, that you've adopted us, that you call us your sons and daughters. I thank you, Lord, that you've taught us to forgive because of how you've forgiven us. I pray for each and every one of us that you would allow us to, right now, think of people in our life that are precious to you, that you want to remind us that they ought to be precious to us. I pray for, for us as a church family that we would be people who are not close-hearted, close-hearted, but not closed, but instead that are open in expecting and anticipating that you're going to do something new in our relationships. Why? Because you came to seek and to save us. Would you teach us how to do that with one another? Lord, we love you. We thank you for this morning and the opportunity to uh, study your word together. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.